Welcome to Crohn's and Colitis Foundation Perspectives on ReachMD. Here's your host, Dr. Stacy Kahn. Advancements in the field of gastroenterology have led to the development of more effective treatment options, such as fecal microbiota transplantation. Could this be the therapy patients with Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis have been waiting for? Welcome to Crohn's and Colitis Foundation Perspectives on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Stacy Kahn, Director of the Fecal Microbiota Transplantation and Microbial Therapeutics Program, as well as an attending physician at Boston Children's Hospital. Joining me today to discuss the role of fecal microbiota transplantation and the changing treatment landscape for IBD patients is Dr. Jessica Allegretti. Dr. Allegretti is the Associate Director of the Crohn's and Colitis Center, Director of the Fecal Microbiota Transplant Program, and an attending gastroenterologist at the Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts. Dr. Allegretti, it's great to have you with us. And before we get started, I just wanted to take a moment to congratulate you on being awarded the 2020 Sherman Emerging Leader Prize for your work related to fecal microbiota transplantation, clostridioides, and IBD. Thank you so much. Now, to start off, Dr. Allegretti, can you explain fecal microbiota transplantation or FMT to our audience? How do you define FMT? Absolutely, and thank you so much for having me. I look forward to this discussion. So fecal microbiota transplantation, which I will refer to as FMT going forward, is literally the installation of minimally manipulated microbial communities from stool of a healthy donor into a patient's GI tract. So that's really how FMT is distinguished from what we would consider defined consortia of microorganisms, otherwise known as a probiotic, you know, defined microorganisms put into a capsule. So given that FMT is regulated by the FDA and is considered an investigational therapy, getting it can be pretty complicated. Can you tell us when FMT is recommended and how patients can be evaluated for treatment with FMT? I think this is a really important question because again, given the state of the world, complicated, doesn't even begin to describe this process currently. And what's important to know about FMT is that it is actually not FDA approved for any indication. I think a common misconception by both clinicians and patients is that it is FDA approved for the treatment of Clostridioides difficile or C. diff infection, but in fact, it is not. The FDA holds a policy called enforcement discretion in which they allow us clinicians to use this therapy specifically for C. diff infections not responding to standard of care therapy without obtaining an investigational new drug license from the FDA, which is a special license you have to apply for anytime you're using an experimental therapy. But because this is felt to be really a life-saving therapy for these patients, the FDA allows us to perform under this policy of enforcement discretion as long as we state that it is investigational and discuss the real and theoretical risks. This is an area that is constantly evolving. And in fact, the FDA is still, I would say, waiting to finalize their thoughts on this IND or investigational new drug license requirement. So again, it's a very complex regulatory landscape for this therapy because it's not FDA approved yet. So my recommendation for patients is if you are suffering with recurrent C. diff infection, certainly you want to seek out expertise at a center that offers FMT, like mine or Dr. Kahn's, and really get consultation with an expert clinician who is familiar with this procedure, because again, navigating this landscape can be quite tricky. With that in mind, what are some of the risks and benefits of FMT? 
So I would say, generally speaking, I think we all would agree that FMT is considered a safe and well-tolerated procedure. Now, that being said, it is still, of course, as I just mentioned, an investigational therapy. So per that FDA mandate, we have to discuss the real and theoretical risks with our patients when we're doing good informed consent. And so the things I discuss with my patients are what I would consider the acute concerns, things like transmission of infections, bacterial, viral, or parasitic infections, because again, we are using human stool that contains bacteria, viruses, fungi, et cetera. You always have to be concerned about transmission of infection. Now, I can tell you that up until fairly recently, there really had been no infections to date from well-screened material. However, there are a couple of things that I do want to point out that you may have seen in the press or read about. Last year, there was a report of two patients who underwent an FMT as part of a clinical trial and unfortunately developed an infection with a multi-drug resistant organism after the FMT. And it was later found to be that it was in fact from the donor stool. Now, what I wanna highlight about these cases is that this was not done under standard of care for C. diff infection. These were done in the setting of clinical trials. And what I do think this scenario really emphasizes is the importance of meticulous attention to donor testing and standardization of this process, which I think many of us are striving to do and are working towards that goal. The other concerns of note are these long-term concerns. Is it possible that we're predisposing the recipient to a disease that the donor will potentially develop in their lifetime? Remember that most stool donors are young, healthy individuals, and in fact, they have to be very healthy. However, is it possible that we are transmitting a disease to the recipient that the donor may develop later in life and they haven't developed yet? Now, with the NIH is sponsoring a national registry, and we are currently following patients for up to 10 years to try to answer a lot of these questions. I can tell you in my own data set, which now is about eight years of follow-up data, we really have not seen any safety signals to suggest this, but I'm glad that the NIH and the AGA really feel strongly about collecting this data, and we will have more answers on this in the future. Now, Dr. Allegretti, many of our IBD patients are interested in FMT as a treatment for their IBD. Can you tell us if FMT is safe and effective for patients with Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis? Absolutely. I'd love to talk about this. So I think it's not surprising that IBD patients are interested in this therapy. IBD really does seem like the obvious next step with regards to exploration of this therapy after C. diff infection. And so there has been a lot of work done in this space. I will always start with the caveat though, is if you were listening earlier, remember that FMT is not FDA approved for anything. And so we, your clinicians cannot offer this therapy to you to treat your inflammatory bowel disease. Currently, it can only be done in the setting of a clinical trial. So if this is something you're interested in, that's certainly where I would start um, and speaking to your clinicians about that. With regards to safety and efficacy, there have been four randomized controlled trials looking at the use of FMT specifically to treat ulcerative colitis. Three of those trials were positive with regards to achieving the outcome of interest, which was clinical remission compared to the placebo. And so I do think this is an important first step in highlighting that there may be a subset of patients that do really respond well to this therapy for the treatment of their ulcerative colitis. I think the data on Crohn's disease is still a bit mixed in that we don't have any well-done randomized control trials yet. So I think it's a bit harder to know where this is going to pan out specifically for the treatment of Crohn's disease. 
One other thing I'd like to mention is that there has been a lot of data published on the use of FMT specifically to treat C. diff in IBD patients. Now our IBD patients disproportionately are affected by C. diff infection. And so it's not surprising that this has been assessed in this patient population quite extensively. Now there was some initial concern that the FMT might in fact be making the IBD worse in this patient population. And we saw many reports of IBD flare rates or IBD worsening in some of these smaller studies. Um, so certainly this was an area that I felt was extremely important to investigate. I am happy to report that with support from the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation, my group was able to perform a prospective trial where we actually performed FMT in patients with both IBD as well as recurrent C. diff and were able to follow them prospectively to really understand what was going on with their IBD course. And what we found was overwhelmingly patients either had improvement in their IBD disease activity or no change. And we really saw no worsening decompensation of patients' IBD when following it in that systematic way. So I think overall, we can safely say that this procedure is safe in patients with IBD. That's very good to hear. Are there other related conditions like PSC or primary sclerosing cholangitis that might respond to FMT treatment? Yeah, so PSC is an area that I also became quite interested in because of its link to patients with IBD. And it's thought that patients with IBD and PSC, there's certainly a link to this abnormal gut microbiome that we know our patients with IBD have that potentially perpetuates that liver inflammation we see in patients with PSC. And so we had hypothesized that perhaps by doing FMT in this patient population, we might be able to correct that dysbiotic state and improve that liver inflammation and therefore improve the liver tests we see in these patients. So my group performed the first pilot study of FMT in patients with both PSC and inflammatory bowel disease. This is a very small pilot study. So this was only done in 10 patients. But what we learned from this study is that this therapy was very safe in this patient population. We saw no significant adverse events and really well tolerated. And we did see decreases in the alkaline phosphatase of 30% of the patients in this study. And for those who aren't familiar, the alkaline phosphatase is one of the labs of interest we follow in patients with PSC. And we saw that in 30% of these patients, that number decreased by 50% after the FMT. So we were certainly very encouraged by this data. I think this is a very small first step in understanding the use of this therapy in a condition like PSC, but I think certainly encouraging. And our last question for today is, where is FMT research headed? What is your vision for the future of microbial therapeutics for our IBD patients? I certainly think many of us are excited about the prospect of microbial therapeutics for IBD as just another novel mechanism of action we can have to treat our patients among the growing therapeutic landscape that is for IBD right now. What I think is exciting about right now in this space is that even this year alone, we saw two companies release top-line data that was positive for novel microbial products, or specifically for the use in C. diff infection. And so I do expect that in the near future, we will have FDA-approved therapies that will likely be in capsule form, first specifically for the treatment of C. diff. I think from there, we will certainly see an expansion in this space where we will start to see use in IBD. And then I think many companies are in the process of developing very specific novel microbial therapeutics 
to treat different phenotypes of IBD. And so I think where this is going is we're going to have capsule formulations that will be specific for our patients in IBD and we'll be able to prescribe them just like we can prescribe any other of our IBD therapies. And so I'm certainly excited for the future of this space and I think it's only gonna continue to benefit our patients with IBD. Well, this has been an extremely valuable discussion about fecal microbiota transplantation as an IBD therapy and an emerging new therapy for IBD. I'd like to thank my guest, Dr. Jessica Allegretti, for joining me today to discuss this treatment approach and provide a glimpse of the road ahead. It was great having you on the program, Dr. Allegretti. Thank you so much for having me. I always love chatting with you, Dr. Khan. Thank you as well. This episode was brought to you in collaboration with the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. To learn more about the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation, please visit Crohn'sColitisFoundation.org. And if you missed any part of this discussion or to find others in this series, visit ReachMD.com foundation, where you can be part of the knowledge. Thanks for listening.